Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. This week on the show, it's brothers Joe and Will Quinlan of the Big Friendly in Oklahoma City, winners of the Small Brewery of the Year Award at the Great American Beer Festival. We'll get into it all in just a moment. But first, All About Beer is back online and producing original content for beer enthusiasts and professionals. Go visit allaboutbeer.com to see the latest. And if you want to support us in that endeavor, we've set up a Patreon for both readers and professional companies in the beer space. Go check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to learn more. And for more audio content, search All About Beer on your podcast platform of choice and listen to the shows that are now available. We're able to bring you this show each week, thanks to the companies that support independent journalism in the beer space. You can help us out and learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates by emailing info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by New Holland Brewing. Did you know that the term dragon's milk has been around since the 17th century? It was used to describe potent ales and elixirs that were worthy of celebration, a reward at the end of a hero's journey. New Holland Brewing Company is proud to continue that tradition today with Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout. Clocking in at a robust 11% ABV and featuring notes of roasted malt, chocolate, and vanilla, the legend of Dragon's Milk continues to grow, and we'll raise a glass to that. Learn more and find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. And we're also brought to you by Les Bon, a celebration of Cezanne, mixed fermentation beer, ciders, natural wines, and oysters. Brewers from around the country will descend on Duluth, Georgia on November 5th, 2022, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. on the town green. All proceeds go to further the mission of Oyster South, supporting aquaculture in the Southeast. Tickets are just 85 bucks and include unlimited beer samples, coffee, oysters, and a barbecue plate. Get your tickets today before it sells out by going to lesbon.eventbrite.com. Earlier this year at the Great American Beer Festival, the awards in the beer categories were handed out, followed by the awards to breweries of the year as dictated by size. This is based on a metric of barrels produced annually, as well as medals won in the competition. For the 251 to 500 barrel capacity brewery, the Big Friendly, a relatively new brewery in Oklahoma City, took home the award. Curious about the brewery and its name, I called up co-founders and owners, brothers Joe and Will Quinlan, to talk about their brewing evolution, creating a memorable and welcoming space, the changes in Oklahoma that have allowed it to become a beer destination, and just what goes into making award-winning recipes. They spoke to me on a brew day from the Big Friendly. Here's our conversation. There's there's a lot of, I think, you know, partnerships that exist in and around beer. And oftentimes we'll hear about you know, spouses, um, you know, there's, there's often, you know, kids and parents dynamic, um, sibling dynamics are obviously nothing new. Um, but how does it work for the two of you? Um, you know, cause a, sibling relationships can be tough at, at, at times, um, you know, in a, in a way that maybe others aren't. And maybe I'm just projecting my own family dynamic, but um, but I feel like there can be you know different relationships when it comes to siblings. So when you guys were getting started with the brewery, did you have a conversation about division of labor and separating family from business or anything along those lines? How, how does it work between brothers? I guess is the the succinct way of of asking that question. 
think I think for us it was pretty easy. We lived together when we were younger, and um, I worked at a, another larger craft brewery as their brewer for six or seven years. And so I kind of had that background already. Um, and then Joe already had the business side going with, uh, I guess he can explain the, how the big friendly started with uh, a bus uh, and driving around to events and serving local craft beer. Um, so he already had kind of the business side going and I already had the back of house going. It just, it's as easy. And, um, we're both very agreeable. We're not really <laughs> fighters. <laughs> so different from my family dynamic. Got it. Yeah. There's a lot of flexibility. Um, especially when we're, we're talking about direction for the business side or rescue formation, or, you know, there's a lot of different things that you have to consider when you're running a brewery day to day. And, you know, we grew up together. We're eight years apart. We lived together after Will moved out of the house in San Diego. We both moved here from San Diego. We started brewing because we couldn't find good beer here in Oklahoma City back in 2010. And to me, it was all about relationship with my brother um, and then making good beer as well. And so that's kind of continued on and, and kind of blossomed into what we have today, which is a fun space to create together and um, just hang out. So you guys were in and around beer um, before you decided to, to, to launch your own thing. Um, what was that first conversation like when you realized that you could team up professionally? It had been an ongoing conversation for quite some time. Uh, when I moved to Oklahoma, it was in 2007, there was one brewery in the whole state. Uh, Chalk Brewing was the name of it. And Will moved here in 2010. So we started brewing together and it wasn't really hard to connect with the brewing community here because it was so small. I think at that time there was maybe four or five breweries in the state. And we just kind of fit right in and, and our learning curve accelerated pretty quickly because of a lot of the relationships we established back then. Um, and then, you know, I worked for uh, Hoop L Works and Will worked for them as well a little bit later. But there was some issues with the laws here, I think, that were barriers to entry for a lot of individuals that were home brewing. Uh, you couldn't have a tap room, sell your beer on premise until 2018. Um, but that conversation for us began maybe three years after we started brewing together. So maybe in 2013 and, you know, we opened in 2020. So that was a seven year conversation, but it was always something kind of in the background um, we talked about and the right situation came along for us. And we had a lot of support from the brewing community, brewing professionals, um, and so it just made it a lot. We had the brand established. The big friendly was already established in 2015. So it made it easy to transition towards that. When those laws changed, and I remember um, working at All About Beer uh, at the time when the laws changed and you started to see breweries opening up and um, uh, real excitement around it. Um, 
when you were conceiving of what would become the big friendly, I, I imagine that there was a can like a blank canvas for the state of being able to create something that literally hadn't existed before, um, but that could help you stand out in a fledgling industry, um, you know, that had some momentum behind it. So what was the inspiration or what was the approach that you wanted to take with the brewery when you first opened or when you were, you know, considering opening to, to, to stand out? And I, I, I mean, I, I don't, am I, am I right with that sort of blind canvas analogy first? And then if so, what was the approach? So, yeah, I think that you're onto something with that for sure. That there was a massive amount of opportunity for us to be part of the formation of what craft beer looked like here in the state because though it was such a small community. I mean, we were having these bottle shares with a lot of the guys that are running breweries today. Like six, um, probably six or seven of the guys. Yeah. The so, and then, or they they open beer bars or they have a homebrew shop or the distribution company. And you look back then and it was a blank canvas. Um, it wasn't really competitive. And in a lot of ways, it still isn't. It's very open source. If you wanted to do something, uh, you're met with a lot of support um, just all across the board. Um, especially from the guys at Coop Works where we came from. So when we first committed to opening a brewery in where, where we're at, it was 2016. And we didn't even start planning for the build of the, the space until 2017, which is a two-year process. And the build took about 14 months. A good portion of that time, Will was working for Coop Works, and they were fully aware that he was going to be leaving eventually, which was really cool of them to let him stay on. Oh, absolutely. And, um, and then support us just with different questions we had related to licensing and, um, you know, different costs that we were looking at equipment. Um, I went on a trip with him to CDC back in 2000, I think it was 2017. Um, just piggyback on their trip with them. That was DC. Um, it was maybe it or was Philly. Maybe it was uh, eighteen. Was it okay. Na- it was Nashville? Nashville, I think, was eighteen. Okay, so it was two thousand eighteen, and um, just experienced a lot of generosity from them, and uh, so hospitable. And so for us, just looking forward to what we wanted to establish was. There really isn't any taproom, wasn't really any taproom only uh, models because you weren't able to have a taproom. And really with the craft beer uh, scene being so young, it's really hard to attract people to your taproom, especially if you don't have food. Um, But we had a little bit of a different approach than most just because we were so events-based. We were taking the beer bus to 100, 120 events a year in public spaces and private spaces, spreading the gospel of craft beer in Oklahoma. Uh, we were only pouring beer that was made in Oklahoma off of the bus. 
And that was unique in itself. And it kind of marketed us before we opened, marketed us for a few years before we opened. And so we wanted to create a space, a taproom space that was first and foremost about people, welcoming people, uh, practicing hospitality, uh, have, having a space that was family friendly. And of course we wanted to make uh, a good product, um, but the people for me was the most important thing. The place itself and the feel of the place was very important. And then uh, we wanted to make good beer that people really enjoyed and, and beer for everyone, really not a particular style of beer, but beer that anyone that walked through the door, there would be, be a beer for them. Can you back up a little bit for folks who don't know about the bus, about the beer bus? Sure. Sure. Um, back in 2000, 13, 14, um, I, I was at different festivals around the city, street festivals. You always would see a bunch of food trucks at these festivals selling food. You always would see a couple beer tents of breweries selling beer. And I just, I knew it was possible to sell beer in this in, environment. I just didn't know how to do it. And I just thought, it kind of would be cool if we, or if I started a, a food truck that sold beer off of the truck. And that idea rapidly formed. And one of the guys here locally uh, that worked for a brewery, he walked, he walked me through all the licensing that was required for it. He took me down to the city, introduced me to people at the city, showed me how to fill the application out, the county, walk me in there, walk me to the tax commission. It was a really complicated process, but, um, and then I, I was like, what better way to sell beer than off of a school bus? And so bought a school bus, built a tap room out on the inside and there's taps on the outside as well, but it kind of created a, a space where you could bring a tap room to anywhere in the city and it was received really well. The taproom space is, is really comfortable, surprisingly, um, being on the inside of a school bus. Uh, we've never driven it around like as a party bus. It just goes and sits and remains stationary at whatever space that we find ourselves, whether that's someone's house, a wedding, or a, a street festival. So that started in 2015. And, um, and that... that brand, the big friendly built into what we have today, which is the brewery. So <clears throat> um, let me ask you about that then. What did having an operation like the bus teach you about beer consumers? That's a good question. They're a lot different here than they were in San Diego. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there was a you kind of had to um, teach them a little bit about beer here. I mean, and then also there was, I think there's a lot of people moving here from the West and East Coast also that already knew what good craft beer was. Mm -hmm. um, so you get a lot of uh, light beer drinkers out here. So for a time, actually, a lot of breweries here were making what we call 3-2 beer or lake beer. Right. So I think a lot of us got pretty good at it. <laughs> and uh, just because we knew that's what consumers wanted. And that's all we actually, that's all we could sell um, at these festivals if there was a public event was only 3-2 beer, something that was under 4% ABB. 
Yeah. And I, I learned too, that there is a beer for everyone. If people tell me, Hey, I don't drink beer. I don't like beer. I kind of start to question why that is. And in these spaces that were just in these small rural areas around Oklahoma city, there's only a few different brand names that people know. And so it was fairly easy to bridge the gap between those brands and what we had available on the bus. And there's a lot of non-beer drinkers that were converted to beer drinkers just because you give them a little taste. Maybe they don't like it. You go down the line. I would have about up to eight beers on tap on the bus. And there was some people that would try a little sip of every single one and walk away, but that only happened a couple of times. Most of the time they're leaving with the beer after they tried one that was either similar to what they liked or just tasted so different from anything they've ever had. It redefined what beer was um, because they only had it in a small box. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I think that was the, one of the biggest things was there is a beer for everyone. And, uh, and so that was a lot of fun for me um, over the year, over the early years of being in those spaces. And so you said that that sort of helped translate into what the big friendly would become and, 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 and what it is now. Um, how did you two, you know, take a you know, mobile bar and transition it into a permanent location? Well, the brand was there. Yeah. Already. And we were connected, of course, to the, the community of beer. And we had talked about a couple different spots that might might be good to pursue. Um, but with the laws changing, um, it just seemed like it was it, it was October, I think October 1 of 2018. And it just seemed like that would be a good time to transition towards opening a brewery because you can have a tap room at that point. And we were just pouring beer that was not our beer off of the bus at events. And, and so an opportunity came up to be part of a new development, new urbanism type development, ground up vacant land and it was right about it's about a seven minute walk from where both will and i live where we're going to live will had will was living there already but um and so when they approached us about this development approached us about having a brewery in the middle of this it's going to be a 2000 unit or 2000 housing unit development right in the middle of it it seemed to be the perfect scenario for us to to move forward with opening a tap room and so um i think there was just a lot of things that that fell into place with that and and honestly it just felt like that was the the path that we were supposed to walk down years before we said yes to, to opening a brewery and brewing beer for us is one of the funnest things funnest activities um, that I've ever participated in. And so being able to brew beer or be part of the brewing process 
on a daily basis is just, it's a dream come true. And, and not only that, but we get to host people in this space and they get to try the, the beer we're making. We get to be really creative with, with the, the beers that we are making. And, um, it's, it's been a, a lot of fun and it just, to me, it was just kind of like this natural transition from one thing to the next. I think it was, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I think it was great for me in, cause I was working for a, you know, Cooper works is a, um, a regional brewery. So there, you know, there's, you know, 10 to a dozen beers they make. That's all they make. You know, they've, they make specialties throughout the year, but for the most part, I was making the same beer every week. And so for me, I was pretty excited to make a different beer every other day, you know, <laughs> to kind of be more creative. And I think that uh, fell right in place with what the big friendly bus already had was showing people what was new and what beer could be. Um, so we try to do that here still, you know, there's only maybe two beers out of a couple hundred that we made over again. So, you know, we try to always be challenging ourselves and making something fresh. We'll have more in a moment, but first a message from this episode's sponsors, and we hope you'll give them a closer look. Did you know that the term dragon's milk has been around since the 17th century? It was used to describe potent ales and elixirs that were worthy of celebration, a reward at the end of a hero's journey. New Holland Brewing Company is proud to continue that tradition today with Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout. Clocking in at a robust 11% ABV and featuring notes of roasted malt, chocolate, and vanilla, the legend of Dragon's Milk continues to grow and will raise a glass to that. Learn more and find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. We're also brought to you by Les Bon, a celebration of Cezanne, mixed fermentation beer, ciders, natural wine, and oysters. Brewers from around the country will descend on Duluth, Georgia on November 5th, 2022, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. on the town green. All proceeds go to further the mission of Oyster South, supporting aquaculture in the Southeast. Tickets are just 85 bucks and include unlimited beer samples, coffee, oysters, and a barbecue plate. Get yours today before it sells out by visiting lesbon.eventbrite.com. So let's talk about your beers because I, I was looking at your tap list before we started talking and I was seeing a lot of New England style. There's a, a double pastry stout called Banana Cowboy that I was intrigued about. Um, a lot of IPA, a lot of different different pale ales. Uh, you have a cross on there, which uh, um, what, what was the bread that you were using for that? Yeah, I, I love that style. I've been trying to make that for a while now. Um, that is actually me and my uh, girlfriend actually make our own sourdough a couple times a week. And so <laughs> we just make a, a bunch of sourdough for that, uh, for brew day. And, um, then I, then we ferment it mainly ferment it with our leaven that we use for the sourdough. Uh, so it's pretty unique. It's pretty fun. And there's a lot of ways to adjust the flavor of the yeast and how it's, um, yeah, how it reacts with uh, fermentation. Yeah. A lot of fun. It, it, it is. It's, it's one of those styles where I feel like five, six, seven years ago, there was a kind of a, a, a broader push by brewers to be making it. And then I don't know the last time I've seen it on, on anybody's tap list. So I was, I was tickled by, yeah. um, by seeing it there. Yeah. There's a couple, you know, like I think Jester King and Flora and I know heirloom and Tulsa, I think has made one. 
um, I just always loved it. And since we already make bread, it just made sense. So, um, yeah, I, I always, from, we made one when we first opened, and I think that was the second one we made in the past two years, but I'd like to keep it more on the board as regular if I can, different variations of it. So, with all the styles that I was saying, though, with the, the you know, then there's some Hellas on there, and you have a, some some uh, a Pilsner, um, but when I see a lot of New England hazies or you know, pastry stouts or things like that, um, I was maybe not surprised. Um, but your two recent Great American Beer Festival wins, uh, first specialty saison and then Belgian table or session beer. Um, I, it seemed like there was maybe a tale of two breweries uh, between what you meddled for and what's currently on tap. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's true. I, I really enjoy making saisons and more things on the wild side and maybe lagers. Um, but I also, I think like everybody loves some IPAs and I know Joe leans more towards stout. So he kind of takes control over that side um, uh, whenever those come up. But they're also made in really small batches. So we have um, five 10 barrel tanks and three, three and a half barrel tanks. And two of the three and a halfs are always something wild. And so whenever I make a Saison or something wild like that, it's it's always in a small batch. And so it generally goes really fast. Um, I think we also, it's nice with that it's small batch because it seems like Saisons have kind of taken a backseat in the past couple of years, at least around here. Like there was a big boom, maybe five, six years ago. And then I don't know if people got sick of it or what, um, <laughs> people stopped buying them. Um, but I know us and a few other breweries around here are trying to bring it back, <laughs> trying to make people love Saison again, because it's a great style. So let, let's sort of work our way up metal wise then. So specialty Saison that you, that you took silver for, uh, this year, um, tell us about it. Yeah, that one. Uh, that's a really fun beer. I think, I don't know what, I think Joe may have brought up, you know, we were just talking about barrels that we can get and Ruby port is something I've just recently had. And I was like, this is really delicious. And I saw a Ruby port barrel uh, available. So I was like, that'd be, you know, that might be really nice in a hundred percent Brett barrel aged Saison. So, you know, let's do it. So we tried it and it turned out really well. The fruit from the Ruby port came through, you got that nice fruitiness, it was 100% bread you get more of that fruit out of it and um a little bit less funk it just turned out to be this nice snappy you know bottle condition i don't know it was just fruity earthy funky just a little bit it's kind of everything i wanted <laughs> uh so that was i was really that was a happy experiment uh, yeah and and worked out quite well for you as well yeah <laughs> um and then i love the idea of table beer and I, I feel like we've been seeing <clears throat> a few breweries uh, embrace that in the last, you know, maybe two years or so. Um, I, it's obviously a style that's been around forever, but um, I'm seeing it pop up a little bit more and more. The idea of session drinking, the idea of uh, lower ABV, um, but with some with some good character to it. So uh, taking gold in that category, um, tell us about that beer. Yeah, exactly. I... I... I just, I love low alcohol, full flavored, complex beers. Um, and there's some great smaller saisons I've had right around the three, 4% range. And actually the one that kind of pushed me over the edge was like, I really need to make this beer is when my uh, 
girlfriend brought a bottle back from Sassanobring in Maine. Never been. She didn't invent. She just picked the bottle up. But it was just a beautiful petite saison. And I was like, I have to make this style. And so uh, I just made a, a smaller version of uh, our regular saison. Um, we have a kind of a saison blend that we that I that I go to, and this is just a smaller version of that. Um, and it turned out really well. It, it I you know added a little bit of uh, noble, and then I actually did some nice uh, uh, New Zealand at the at the end there. I think that that was a nice little hit of New Zealand hop uh, towards the end of the boil. I think was a was a fun addition to that one. I, what I like about hearing about both of your medal winning beers is the little bit of experimentation um, or just, you know, the right amount of experimentation clearly that went into them, but also the small batch nature of them where there are some really wonderfully made saisons. And I mean, DuPont, I think is probably the, 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 the classic example of you can make a lot of the, the large quantities of the same beer uh, and the style is going to be well represented, but there's something to be said for small batch and I, I, I don't know, an intimacy, I guess, for these styles of coming out of a small brewery in, I guess the way that, that, you know, history or tradition sort of dictated for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. One of the first things I said to Will after we won, you never go into something like that thinking you're going to win, especially when we're not two years old yet. But I said, looks like we're going to have to make more Cezanne, Will. Uh, <laughs> because it is a style that, I mean, that's really close to Will's heart. That's something that he's worked on over the years. And he's always popping fun bottles of Cezanne that he's made in the past, you know, and, um, and I think that, I think that we probably will, you don't see Cezanne on the board right now. I mean, we've got a wild ale on the board with peaches. Um, but, and we, we thankfully had some bottles of the, of the gold medal winners still available for people to come and try, uh, after we, we won, uh, we had a few of textured fabric, but, but, um, but that's just the nature of the way we approach it. And we're learning our identity, uh, just being, like I said, just under two years old. And I think that, you know, over the next couple of years, we'll see how things go. But I would think that we probably will make that one again, oblique and bent. Um, but I think that we're not going to lose sight of why we're even, why we even opened a brewery to begin with, because it, Brewing is fun and uh, being able to be creative in the process is one of the best things, funnest things about it, really. Can I go back to something that you said before about uh, when you enter these, um, you never think you're going to win. Why enter then? I guess the, what I was saying is you don't have the expectation that you're going to win because we just know so many good breweries out there. And I know that we make good beer. I know we make good beer. There's, there's no question about it. I wouldn't drink it if I didn't. And we get a lot of good feedback from people that 
we think is honest. Um, but the odds of winning to me, when I'm like working through that in my mind, it just seems slightly out of reach. Um, when there's, you know, 10,000 beers that are entered into a competition, I know we can win. It's just this, the expectation's not there that, hey, we are going to come away with a medal. Gotcha. Um, that makes sense. So getting those two medals then uh, led to Brewery of the Year awards. So uh, for the 251 to 500 barrel uh, size brewery in the U.S., uh, you guys took home the that top award of, of brewery of the year for, for, for that size. Um, first congratulations. And second, has it brought new people to your door? Has, has there been a buzz in, in Oklahoma and, and beyond about everything you guys are doing? You know, a couple of weeks out from finding that out, I've seen new people in the tap room every day. People that knew about us are people that live around here already. And, you know, there's a lot of familiar faces coming and congratulating us and, you know, just giving us really great affirmation and encouragement. But it seems like there's someone in from out of state that just found us because they heard that we won. Um, a couple medals and, and brewery of the year. So, yeah, I think that I don't really know what the impact's going to be long-term, but apparently people follow that stuff. And <laughs> I, I guess, you yeah. know, yeah. puts us on the map a little bit. And if people are in town in Oklahoma city, I think that we're going to be one of the spots they're going to want to stop by. Although there are a lot of really good breweries in Oklahoma city. So, um, just, uh, grateful that, that we were recognized in that way. We were talking before we recorded this, um, where when people show up at your door, there are various areas within the brewery property that people can hang out in. And there's obviously places for private parties and everything, but they all seem to kind of have, at least from what I've been able to gather, from the internet, which is not always a reliable narrator, but um, it, it, it seems like there are various places within the brewery and the tap room for what a customer is looking for on that particular day, as far as mood goes, or as far as setting goes. Um, it doesn't seem to just be like, Hey, Hey, this is our one place and uh, pick an uncomfortable stool and, and, and settle down for a while. Um, what did you want to do creating the vibe with those different sections and with those different areas? If what well, I just said is accurate. Yeah, it makes sense. I think when we went into the planning process and we were talking through layout and what we'd hoped for with the tap room, we wanted it to be a place that felt warm and welcoming. And, and you're, you're absolutely right about recognizing the different areas within the tap room. It's a single room, but it's divided into four distinct areas where people can hang out. So 
one that creates int intimacy in each particular area, um, which really are defined by ceiling heights and ceiling finishes are different in each area. And um, the kind of layout of each area is, is different as well. So it's kind of hard to explain, but um, we have a mezzanine and upstairs area and then below that's our bar area. Uh, it, we just wanted it to be a place that was a little bit different than most brewery tap rooms you visit and a place where if there was just a few people hanging out in the tap room, it didn't feel empty. And I feel like we accomplished that. We also wanted it to be a place that we wanted to hang out in because we were going to be here all the time. And, and so that was uh, one of the things we were thinking through. We also have a big patio area, which was really uh, great, especially because we opened November 20th of 2020, which was basically <laughs> the height of COVID. Yeah. The, the patio area was a lifesaver for us. Um, not the best time to open, but you know what? It, it was the same for everybody, really. And so uh, we, we, we had a lot of support and made it through that. And But yeah, the tap room itself, there's like a little kids area under the stairs too, little book nook area. So kids can go sit there while their parents, you know, parents drink with a playground across the street. Um, but yeah, there was thought that went into that. That's great. No, I, I, I love the diversity inside of a space as well. It just, I think it just suits, it, it, it suits diversity of tap lists. It just sort of suits you know, I think what a lot of customers are looking for. So I, I was, I was, I was glad to see that. Um, you mentioned that you were mashing in just before we started this conversation. What's, what's currently going in the brew house right now? Uh, I have a IPA, I think is going to be for our anniversary party. No. Oh. So a special IPA. Special, special IPA. Yeah. I don't know if you've completely decided on what hops are going in there yet. <laughs> <laughs> just going to walk into the cooler and see what you have. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I think the more important side for us on this beer today is uh, going to be for the dry hop. So I don't have to worry about that part just yet, but um, I have one, I have what's going into the whirlpool today. So I, I, I love, I love that, that leap of faith or that uh, <laughs> doing it in stages kind of thing. Um, on the show for a while, I've been asking folks uh, the green door question, which uh, the premise is uh, the television show, The Good Place, uh, and the final season introduces a concept of the green door where somebody can walk through it and be anywhere uh, at any point in history with anybody that they want. And so if we had a green door on our plane of existence and you could finish this conversation and walk through it and be at any brewery or any pub anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you want to be drinking? And Will, let's start with you. Oh uh, pressure. Oh, so much pressure. <laughs> God, I don't even, I don't know, man. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard question. Um, All right, Joe, do you have one loaded up? Yeah. <laughs> There's so many places that I would want to be. I mean, I'd be at multiple places at once. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would want to, my very first experience with craft beer was at Alpine Brewing 
in California. Yeah, the original. The original. Yeah. And it was just the little lobby you walked into. You could have a pint, but it was pretty uncomfortable. And mostly just taking growlers to go. But I don't know. It'd be cool to relive that at this point. Um, I think the first beer I had was Nelson. Um, and that just kind of set me on this path of seeking out good beer. And there's a lot of other spots that I think that I would want to find myself that I've never been to, mm -hmm. but I do know I've been there and I would love to go back there in this moment. Uh, but I know a lot has changed since then. Yeah. But there was a lot of inspiration that came from that, that first sip. Okay. So now, so now Will. Yeah. You've had time. I had, I had shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to say that. Yeah, I'm allowed to say that. Um, uh, man, I have this really great memory. Uh, Joe and I went on this trip. Uh, to Ireland years ago, and we had just, we're just sitting in a pub having a, having a Guinness on a cold day and snowing outside. I think that'd be fun to go revisit that moment. Yeah. Just for a couple hours. I think yeah. that would that'd be really great. That was epic. That's fun. Well, congratulations to you both for the uh, Brewery of the Year Award for, for the brewery of your size. And uh, it's been a long time since I've been back to Oklahoma City, so I hope to to get there and have a pint in person uh, with the both of you. But uh, Joan, well, thanks for for being on the show this week, and and you know, thanks for sharing some insights as to what's happening on your your four walls. Appreciate you having us on, John. Yeah, thanks, John. What's a brewery that I should be checking out? Let me know by emailing me at John Hall. That's J O H N H O L L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can share your info with me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. All About Beer is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just follow along at All About Beer. And of course, This Week in Rauk Beer is also online. The Facebook group is easy to search. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at TW Rauk Beer. We're able to bring you this show each week. Thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you'd like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, this episode was brought to you by New Holland Brewing. Did you know that the term dragon's milk has been around since the 17th century? It was used to describe potent ales and elixirs that were worthy of celebration, a reward at the end of a hero's journey. New Holland Brewing Company is proud to continue that tradition today with Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout, clocking in at a robust 11% ABV and featuring notes of roasted malt, chocolate, and vanilla. The legend of Dragon's Milk continues to grow and will raise a glass to that. You can learn more and find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. We are also brought to you by Les Bon, a celebration of Cezanne, mixed fermentation beer, ciders, natural wine, and oysters. Brewers from around the country will descend on Duluth, Georgia on November 5th, 2022, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. on the town green. And all proceeds go to further the mission of Oyster South, supporting aquaculture in the Southeast. Tickets are $85 and include unlimited beer samples, coffee, oysters, and a barbecue plate. Get yours today before it sells out by going to lesbon.eventbrite.com. 
And finally, before we go, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Go and search on your podcast platform of choice. There you can subscribe and hopefully enjoy what you're hearing. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And don't forget, go visit allaboutbeer.com. As for this show, Mitch Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>